as we look at, uh, you know, talking about 9-11, I think one of, us, one of the things that we would all agree with is that a lot's changed in the last 15 years, hasn't it? Uh, from my perspective, and, I, and for some, I know for some of you, I, I'm, I'm 51, so I'm not old enough to remember some of the things that you might remember, but um, I don't think that there's ever been a time in our country where we've been more divided. Uh, I've never seen a political climate as ugly as it is today. I've, I've never seen races more divided. I've never witnessed hatred, this kind of hatred between people groups. And, and whether you agree with me or not, um, uh, all you got to do is turn on, the, turn on the news or be on Twitter and you'll realize that there's a lot of division and hatred that's going on in our country today. And we are in, in desperate need of unity and compassion as a, as a people, as a nation, and as a world. And this morning uh, is a morning that, that we have set aside to celebrate 19 years of being a church. September 7th, 1997 is actually the day that we started uh, this church. We started uh, that day in, in a little elementary school up the road in West Cobb, Vaughn Elementary School. And, and I re- from, from, from day one, we have been a church defined by compassion. Most of you uh, don't know this, but when we started Westridge 19 years ago, several of our core members, uh, some who were actually on the stage a moment ago, had, had come out of a, a really ugly church situation. Uh, many of them were, were wounded and weary. And then all, four months into our church, I remember in December, January of, of 97, 98, uh, we inherited another group of people that came out of another really tough church situation. And, and it, it was crazy because we were reaching uh, the unchurched people in our community and we were seeing people make decisions for Christ. But at the same time, we were, we were reaching hurting church people. We were reaching people that, that, that were out of church or, or had, were traveling around trying to find a church because they were, were fed up with the church. We actually uh, grabbed a phrase that we had heard to describe some of the people that began to re- we began to reach called. We called them the de-churched because there's so many folks who were, who were de-churched. They were, it wasn't that they were against the church. They were just hurt and wounded by the church here in Northwest Atlanta. And it, and, and so we began to, to reach them. And, and, and it wasn't, again, uh, it wasn't that they didn't believe in God or, or, or denied Christ. We, we defined that group, and I talked about this last week, as the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. Um, now, these folks had been burned by, by Christians and the church, and, and they're calling that group, by the way, the duns. You got the nuns, the duns. And, um, but I remember a guy walking up to me early on in the, in the early days of Westridge, and he said, I believe that God has called this church to be a hospital for hurting people. And to be honest, uh, to be honest with you, when we moved here, I expected to reach a lot of hurting, unchurched people, but I never expected to reach so many hurting, wounded, weary Christians. But that's a lot of what makes up the area that we live in. However, it's been part of the path that we've been on for the last 19 years. And, and honestly, I don't expect it to change. Compassion is rooted deep into the DNA of Westridge Church. Now, with that said, I want to tell you just a little bit of what I hope to accomplish here in just the, the next several minutes. I want to take a look at, at a, an incredible story in the Bible about the compassion of Jesus. I want to, I want to lay out um, what I believe is a biblical theology for compassion and then I'm going to challenge you at the very end to unleash compassion in your life because as you're about to see, Jesus was and still is, still is to this day a God of compassion and he has called every single one of us to be the, his hands and his feet and to unleash compassion not only upon the community that we live in but upon our state, our country, and our world. Now, 
the, the place where we're going to be today, and you, if you have a Bible or if you want to turn to your electronic device and that's where you, you keep your Bible, uh, is Luke chapter 10. So get there if you would for just a moment. We're going to camp out there this morning. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells us, has this very interesting conversation with an expert of the law. Now, when we think of expert of the law today, there's something very different that we're going to think of. But an expert of the law back in in this time was a guy who was an expert of the first five books of the Old Testament. All right? So this guy was an expert on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the man has a conversation with Jesus, and he he says to to Jesus, he asks him a question. He says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus throws a question back at him. And I loved how Jesus would do that. People would try to corner him or trick him or they would really try to nail him with with an Old Testament question that that would refer to to the Old Testament. And Jesus would always answer with a question. He would say, well, what does the law say? And the expert of the law says, okay, well, okay, Jesus, here's what it says. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. And then he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus replies to this guy. He says, says, you've answered this correctly. Do this and you will live. Look at verse 29 for a moment. But the man desiring to justify himself, because now Jesus has him cornered, he says to Jesus, Okay, well then who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus replies with a story. Now there's a lot of scholars that believe that this story actually could have taken place and this man may have known about this particular story. Jesus says this, there's a man, he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, By chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he saw, came, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and went and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus says this, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man, the expert of the law says, the one who showed him mercy. Now, notice he didn't mention the name Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go then and do likewise. Now, I want to help you for just a moment. I want to help you to try to get your mind around this story that Jesus tells here, okay? Jesus, is travel- Jesus t- tells us there, there's a Jewish man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And along the road, he gets mugged, someone steals his clothes, and he's beaten until he's nearly dead. A pastor comes along. He sees the man, and he, instead of engaging him, he crosses onto the other side of the street to basically avoid him. A deacon comes along. Here at Westridge, we would call them a ministry team leader. Comes along, sees the man, 
crosses the street to basically avoid help having to help the man. But a Samaritan sees the man, and he has compassion on him. He puts him in his car. He takes him to the Holiday Inn. He gives the manager at the Holiday Inn his American Express card, and he says, here, take care of this guy and put any extra expenses on my tab. And then Jesus looks at the expert of the law, and he says, now, which one of the three men that I just mentioned in the story was a neighbor to the man who got mugged and was left for dead. And the expert of the law says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, okay, then do that. Go, go and do likewise. Now you have to understand something about this story that makes it very intriguing. Jesus uses a Samaritan as the example of the guy who showed compassion. Why is this such a big deal? Well, in the eyes of the Jews, the Samaritans were like the spiritual half-breeds of society. They were the outcasts of society, the religious outcasts of society. A Jewish person would never help a Samaritan. They just wouldn't do it. So for a Samaritan to help a Jew and to have compassion upon him, he would have had to have compassion on someone who hated him. He would probably, might have had to have risked his life to do this. He would have had to obviously spend his own money and then never be recognized or honored for doing this. Now, this is important. It's very important that Jesus uses this Samaritan in the story to illustrate his own ministry. He basically diffuses any anger or pushback that the the expert of the law might have. Now, here's why Jesus actually told the story. Because Jesus was a man who showed compassion to people that hated him and rejected him. And the Bible says that while we were at our worst, while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. He didn't give money to pay for us. Instead, out of compassion, he gave his life for us. And since then, he has received very little recognition or honor from most of the world for what he's done. And so he tells this story about the Samaritan to this Jewish expert of the law. And he says, okay, now go and do likewise. Unleash this same kind of compassion on your neighbor. It's a tall order, isn't it? a tall order, isn't it? Now, before I talk any more about compassion, I think there's two questions that I think we need to answer because um, I, I think that, that when we think, we, we've heard this command before, love your neighbors yourself. And I think one of the big questions that we just need to address is who in the world is my neighbor? You ever thought about that? Are we thinking about the person that lives next door to me in my cul-de-sac? In my, I mean, who in the world is my neighbor? This is who your neighbor is. Anyone that God brings across your path, that's your neighbor. And and here's why I know that to be true. Because if you look at the people that Jesus engaged along his path, here's what he did. He healed the leper. He fed the multitudes. He raised the widow's son. He healed the demon-possessed man and 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 a boy. He healed the paralyzed and the blind. He dealt with... Uh, very compassionately with a woman who had committed adultery and he risked his own reputation by engaging a Samaritan woman at a well. Broke all kinds of cultural standards by doing that. All of these people were his neighbor. And yet he didn't hide, he didn't run away, he didn't fence himself in to avoid his neighbors. Instead, he engaged anyone that the father brought across his path. He set the example for us on how we're supposed to deal with our neighbor. Now, let's answer the next question. What does it actually mean, then, to love our neighbor 
as ourself. Here's what it means. It means to treat them exactly as we want to be treated. It's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Now, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus addresses this. And he puts a great emphasis on the importance of having compassion on the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, those who are homeless, who are sick. I mean, he keeps going. And he said, then he actually says that we will one day be judged on the judgment day for the compassion that we have on what Jesus calls the least of these. And then he actually identifies personally with them. And here's what he says. He says, I tell you the truth that when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are actually refusing to help me. Now that's the weight and the importance that Jesus puts on compassion. And I would challenge all of you in your small groups this next week, I would like for you to look at Matthew 25 and have a very honest conversation about what Jesus is talking about at the end of Matthew chapter 25, because I think it's going to challenge you. Now, before we go any, any further, I think I probably need to define compassion. I mean, we've been talking about it for the last however long. Let's just define it. I want you to put it on the screen, and I want to show you a, an issue I have here. I, I, I've had four or five years of Greek, and I still can't pronounce that word. So, but it is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Basically, it is seeing something wrong and doing something about it. That's compassion. Now, over the years, as a church, we've made some very bold, compassionate moves to engage those who are hurting, suffering, who not just need Jesus, but they need it. Like they need healing. They need, they need just a cold cup of water. I want to tell you about a couple of them and I'm just going to scratch the surface. In the last, as you know, 19 years, we've, we've rebuilt several homes in our area, uh, extreme makeover style. It's been one of the, my favorite things we've done. Back in 2004, we provided money to have a safe house built in Uganda um, to protect women and children from the terrible acts of the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army, and, and their leader, Joseph Coney. And uh, that, that facility still stands to this day. It serves as a church on Sunday morning and a safe house for women and children all throughout the rest of the week. We, in, in 2008, we launched a nonprofit called Engage Burkina, and, and, it, and we did that to tackle waterborne illnesses and, and AIDS in a little country in West Africa called Burkina Faso. And since then, uh, Engage Burkina has, along with several partners, we've, we've been able to provide clean water wells, over 500 of, of them, actually. And, and we've helped to build 45 new churches. And we've been able to see uh, over 6,000 people in a people group out in the middle of nowhere Burkina called the Pugli receive Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior. Um, In, in 2009, we became ground zero right here for the flood victims of Northwest Atlanta. And working with Samaritan's Purse and several other organizations and churches, we actually ran point right out here in our gravel parking lot, parking lot to, to help refurbish a lot of homes in Austell and over here in Hiram. Um, we do something, we've been doing something for the last several years called Hope for Christmas uh, in December where we provide gifts, food, and, and love to thousands of underprivileged families and people uh, in our community um, every year. A few years ago, we helped launch a new ministry called Love Beyond Walls to 
basically tackle poverty and homelessness in College Park and in downtown Atlanta. And some of you know, I mentioned this last week, but some of you know that uh, the founder of that, Terrence Lester, is, is walking from Atlanta to Washington, D.C. to raise awareness for homelessness and poverty and those who are less fortunate all over our country. And he's made it all the way at almost to Charlotte, North Carolina now. It's amazing. Over the last year, we've started working with some refugees in a little town called Clarkston right here in Georgia. Some of you don't even know that one of the largest refu- refugee populations is right here in our, in our neighborhood on the other side of Atlanta. And now I want to tell you, we're getting ready to get involved in the Syrian refugees crisis in Europe. In, um, in January, Paul Richardson and I are going to be traveling to a country in Europe with the hope of engaging Syria, Syrian refugees with, with the hope and the love of, of the gospel. Um, in, the, in February, the UN reported that there are now over 13 million people in Iraq and Syria who've been impacted greatly by, by the refugee situation. And, and 4.8, Syrian, 4.8 million Syrians have now left their country and are now scattered all over the world, living homeless or in refugee camps. And, and quite honestly, this past summer, God grabbed a hold of my heart and I just had enough of watching it on the news and saying, why aren't we engaging this? Why aren't we doing to them what we would want someone to do for us? So we're going to engage this. And we're going to jump in with, with the purpose of, 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 of leading those folks to Jesus Christ and, and just showing them a, the love and compassion of Jesus. And, and, and I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to ever hear on the news. As millions of Muslims are being pushed out of Iraq and Syria, thousands of them are coming to Christ in Europe and in different countries. I want you to know that. I know that for a fact. God's moving. God's moving in that world. And I have to be very careful how I say all this. But God's moving and we're going to engage it. Now, I want to give you a few truths about compassion. I I really believe that this is a biblical theology of compassion because it kind of sets the groundwork for how we've worked and how we're going to continue to work as a church. First of all, we cannot have impact without contact. You can't have impact without contact. Now, I grew up in a, in a very religious culture where we pretty much isolated our, ourselves from everything that was not who we were. I mean, anything that was non-Christian, we isolated ourselves from them and boycotted all kinds of things. Disney, now it's Target, I mean, whatever. So anything that threatened us, we, we boycotted it. And we, but we passed out gospel tracts and we worked hard to close ourselves off from the people we were passing tracts out to. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you now, all of you, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Then he says this, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give you glory to give glory to to the Father who's in heaven. So first part of this, what what exactly does salt do? Well, we know that it adds flavor to things. We know that it adds zest. Um, We know that if you eat too much of it, it'll give you high blood pressure. Beside the point. But it also preserves things that could rot or spoil. But understand this, it is useless unless it comes out of the shaker. 
unless it engages what it's intended to engage, it's useless. Then Jesus tells this. He says, you're the light of the world. But he says, a light is useless if it's hidden or cannot be seen. So what does he tell us to do? He says, we have to let our light shine before others so that people might see Jesus in us and be drawn to him. We have to get out and we have to make contact. We can't isolate, we have to infiltrate. We have to stop closing ourselves off from our neighbors and we have to get out and rub shoulders with them. We have to show compassion and we have to serve them. That's one. Number two may offend a couple, few of you. It's okay. Two, justice without Jesus is just a Band-Aid. Now, this church has not been called to be the Red Cross or the Peace Corps. I'm not slamming them, but that's not what we've been called to do. We've actually been called to engage earthly problems with the ultimate goal of introducing people to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some people may look at that and go, well, that sounds like a little bit of a bait and switch. But wouldn't it be a tragedy if we spent thousands or maybe even millions of dollars, countless hours, fixing earthly problems in downtown Atlanta, in villages in Guatemala and Nicaragua, but we never offered them the answer to fix their internal problem? Here's how Jesus puts it. He says in Mark 8, for what, for what does a... What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Now, there's a lot of people in today's culture that struggle with the fact that, that we're engaging the world's problems with the ultimate goal of leading people to Jesus. And part of the reason that they struggle with that is because there is a growing, growing belief among people, especially younger people, that all roads lead to the same place. In other words, all religions lead to the same God. Here's what Jesus said about this. John 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it clear he's the only road that leads to God and then he drops the mic and walks off stage. That's, that's, that's what he does. He's it. Justice without Jesus is, a, is just a Band-Aid. So where do we begin to engage our neighbor? Well, the Bible is clear about that as well. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we are to start with Jerusalem. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, but you will receive power, and this is important, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to then the ends of the earth. Now, there's a few really important things here about this verse. First of all, your, your power to have compassion for others and to be witness for, witnesses for Jesus will come only from the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't do it without him. And then Jesus gives us a very strategic order on how to un unleash compassion. He says, first of all, you start with your own community. He calls it, he calls it Jerusalem. Then you extend into your state, Judea, then into your country, uh, 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 Samaria, and then you engage the rest of the world. Now, there's a myth that exists in the, in the missions world, and I'm just going to tackle it, okay? Here's the myth. The myth is, and the belief is, that the needs overseas are greater than the needs next door. The needs overseas are greater than the needs next door. Listen, 88% of, of the people in the county that we're currently sitting in right now, Paulding County, are not in church this morning. 
And many of them are just as lost and going to the same hell as the lost Muslim in Iran or Afghanistan. You just, that's the truth. Homeless, here's another, homelessness, poverty, sex trafficking, abortion, racism. They are serious issues in our state, in our country. Matter of fact, Atlanta is one of the top sex trafficking areas in our, in our whole nation. We have a serious problem. Not just here, but we have serious problems with violence and homelessness and poverty in our nation's largest cities. The U.S., the United States, is the fourth most unreached nation in the world with the gospel. Right now, there are more Christians in China than there are in the United States. Now, political leaders, they can create maybe some temporary fixes to issues, get everybody all fired up. But here's what they will never address. They will, they will not address this. They will never address the major issues that plague our homes and schools and societies and our nations, which is sin. That, they will never say that. Because that's the truth. We are a broken, dark, messed up world because of sin. And the only answer to sin is Jesus. We are a people in desperate need of Jesus. The gospel. That's why, that's why Pastor Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Church, he, says, he, he calls the, the church, the hope of the world. The commission of the church is to go into all of the world and to make disciples of Jesus. Westridge, I want to take a moment, okay? I want you to look around the auditorium for just a moment, okay? Just look around at everyone that's here, okay? When Jesus says, go into all of the world, the church is to go into all the world, we are the church, okay? You, the people you're looking at, this building is not the church. You are the church, and we have been commissioned to deliver the greatest news ever that's ever been told to mankind. We've been commissioned to tell people forgiveness is now available. Hope can now be found. Things can now be made right between God and man. Any life, any life can now be changed. The Messiah has come. A Savior has, 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 has come and, he, and he's died and he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. And his name is Jesus. And our neighbors desperately need this message. And that's, that's the good news that, that they need to hear. But, it's, but it starts right here in Jerusalem. Right here in Jerusalem. And then it goes outside into our state, into our country, and in our world. Now here's another one. Number four. Not every church is called to every ministry. Now nearly every month I will have somebody who will approach me and, and they, will, they will hit me hard with a, a new, a, an idea of starting a new ministry here at Westridge because... They are passionate and burdened about something. And almost all the time, it's a good thing. But there have been moments where someone will come up and we, we actually will engage it. But most of the time, here's what's happening. This person is, is asking me to take ownership of their passion and to have the church do something about it for them. And almost always, this is my answer with as much grace as I can have at the moment, um, and here's what I will say, and I believe this with all my heart. If God has given you a true burden and a passion for something, then he's going to give you everything you need to tackle it. Everything. He's going to, he's going to give you, miraculously give you the resources you need to make it happen. And I've watched some folks in our church, some of you are in this service, who you have started do some amazing ministries outside the walls of this church, and God is miraculously meeting your needs. It's been amazing to see it. I'm so proud of so many of you. But here's what you need to know. Every church, regardless of where they are, every church has been called to make disciples. 
That's our chief calling here at Westridge Church is to make disciples, to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But not every ministry opportunity helps us to accomplish that purpose. Listen, Jesus, Jesus healed a lot of people, but he didn't heal everyone. Even in his own hometown, he did not engage every single person that needed healing. So what do we do with that? What do, what do I do now? What, what do I do? How do I unleash compassion in my own life? How can I ask God to do this for me? First of all, here's where we are. Number one, ask God to, to give you a compassionate heart and a love for people. Here's a fact. Compassion is messy. Compassion is a messy thing. Compassion doesn't always come in a nice new box wrapped up in a pretty bow. Sometimes it takes dropping pride. Sometimes it takes confessing sin. Sometimes it takes breaking down some generational sins that have been rooted deep in, in your family line. Here's what we've got to do if we're going to truly be a church of compassion, if you're going to unleash compassion in your own life. First of all, we've got to break down some cultural barriers. We live in one of the most diverse areas in the entire country. Before we ever moved here in 1997, I heard so much about the history of racism and how it was so deeply rooted in this area. I, I, I heard about how counties looked down upon, uh, uh, upon other counties. I believe with all my heart that God put this church here to tear down racial barriers and to be a bridge of compassion from one race to another. And he put this church here to be to, to bridge the gap, the, the dividing lines between counties, to tear those things down. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, that if you claim to love God and you hate your brother or sister, then you're a liar. It's just straight up. The second thing we have to do is we have to reject isolation. Now back in, in Jesus' day, if you were a Gentile, if you were a leper, if you were a tax collector, if you were a woman, if you were uncircumcised, you were isolated from the church. I like to think that Westridge is a very welcoming church to anyone from the community. But here's what we have to constantly be asking ourselves. Who are the cultural lepers of the day that we are trying to avoid? The homosexual, the Muslim, people from other countries. And here's what we have to embrace, and, and we could keep going on. Here's what, we, here's what we have to embrace. If we're truly going to reach our neighbor, we have to believe with all of our heart that every person has equal value in God's eyes. All right? Some of you think, are you giving your political views up here? I'm not. I'm just talking Jesus. I'm, I'm preaching the word here. That's it. If we're truly going to fulfill God's command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Then, then everyone has to have equal value in our eyes like they do in Jesus' eyes. He gave his life for everyone. Then, then we have to be normal and we have to be approachable. <laughs> so one of the things that made Jesus different from all the other religious leaders of the day, he was approachable. He didn't ooze religion and, and the haughtiness of, of, of the other religious teachers of the day. He, he, he was humble he had a gentle spirit about him. Even though he was God in the flesh, he, he came across as a normal, approachable guy that people love to be around. I mean, to this, he'd have had on a jersey this morning. I mean, he exuded love. And no, Paul, he wouldn't be pulling for the, for the cowboys. I don't, listen. I'm going to say something straightforward to some of you. Some of you simply tolerate people. And that's on a good day. 
I mean, I, listen, I've had people, I've had pastors tell me, I don't really like people. I'm just a good communicator. And my answer is, you need to get another job. When Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem for the last time, Luke chapter 19 tells us that he wept over the city because of what the people they were about to go through because they had rejected him. He's crying over those who are about to demand his death. Listen, if God is ever going to truly use your life to impact the people around you, you have to have a compassionate heart and a love for the people that you're around. And if you don't, ask God to give you. Ask God to break your heart for the people that breaks his heart. Number two, we have to be sacrificial and generous when it comes to our life and our resources. Listen, compassion without sacrifice is just convenience. Compassion without sacrifice is just convenience. Think of what the Samaritan sacrificed for this beaten, battered Jewish man. This man who actually despised and hated him. He gave his time, he gave his reputation, he gave him his own animal, he gave him his money. Westridge, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna call upon you in the next couple months, and I want you to be thinking about right now. I'm gonna call upon you to com- compassionately sacrifice not just your life, but your resources for the sake of the gospel. We, we take an offering every year called the gift offering. I wanna lay it out just for just a brief moment of what we're gonna be doing with the gift offering this year. In our own community, we're going to be ramping up our local in, our, our internship program. We want to be able to provide opportunities for our young adults who are in this church who feel called to ministry. We want to be able to, be able to train them. We have a lot of younger singles, younger adults who come to us and say, I feel called to, to, to go out and do an internship in Guatemala or Burkina Faso or to go on the world race. We want to be able to help them. We want to be able to resource them to be able to do that, to do what God's called them to do. We also want to get our local outreach stuff. We want to, the stuff we've been doing over the last several years, um, uh, community makeover stuff, we want to pour fuel back onto that to get that going again next summer. Maybe in a little bit of a different package, but we're going to get that going once again to get us outside the walls of this church. From a country standpoint, you know we're a church planning church. Now, I want to tell you this. The most effective evangelistic tool we have in the United States is brand new churches. I also want you to hear this. Three to four percent of churches in our country right now that, that exist do not reproduce. Or, 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 sorry, excuse me. Three to three to four percent in our country are churches that do reproduce. Now, I want you to think of what would happen if only three to four percent of humanity reproduced. We would die out. Three to four percent of churches in America reproduce. The rest don't. Thankfully, God's called us from the very beginning to be one of those reproducing churches. I see my friend Jim Aiken sitting over here. And I'm going to tell you this, Jim. This church would not be a reproducing church without you. I want you to know that. Thank you for pouring that into my life from day one. We, we are a church planting church because of you. And I want you to know. Thank you. Here's our strategy. We're, we're going to plant churches. We can, we're going to continue to plant churches in Atlanta. And we were going to be very strategic about the southwest side of Atlanta. It's the toughest place in all of Atlanta. Nobody wants to go there. That's where we're going to go. We've, already, we've got two church plants right there right now that we've invested heavily in. They're doing a phenomenal job, and we're going to keep pouring into them. Vertical church, cornerstone church. We're going to plant churches in Boston. Some of you are going immediately. Why should I care about those Yankees in Boston? Why should I have compassion upon them? One of the most unreached Cities in our country is in Boston. Matter of fact, one out of 12 people in Boston are atheists. 
but it's also one of the most influential. One out of five U.S. educated world leaders come from a college in Boston. And we already have four or five church plants that we are supporting in Boston right now. And we're going to be taking teams to Boston. All right? We want to, listen, so much of the spiritual history of this nation came through Boston. We're asking God to rebirth it again going through Boston. I don't care what, I don't care what city it is. It just happens to be Boston. And we feel God's, we're also going to, we're also going to start partnering with Cross Point City Church up in Cartersville which is one of our church plants. They were one of our, our campuses a while back. James Griffin, pastor of that church. We're going to tackle Miami. Now some of you go, I could get into that. I'm just going to throw a little vision on you that may overwhelm you. I feel God's called Westridge to tackle the whole East Coast with church planning, with the gospel. 65 million, 65 million people in nine major cities, from New Orleans to Pittsburgh, all the way up the East Coast. I'll tell you more about that later. From the world standpoint, we're getting ready to tackle a brand new people group in, in Burkina Faso called the Ja. And we're going to raise up the, Burk- the, the Pugli to reach them with the gospel. In Guatemala, we want to continue to work with our second village transformation, this little village called El Semiento. And we're, 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 we're already into it, doing some great things, providing some, some resources there, but we're going to take it to a new level. So I want to ask you to unleash compassion in your life with the gift offering this year. Not only by giving your life, by serving, but I want to ask you to, to pour your resources into it. And then finally, I want, I want you to ask God, where and who are you asking me to serve? Who is my neighbor and how do you want me to love them? Ask God to, to, to unleash a spirit of servanthood in your heart and then engage. Now, some of you have never served before. Listen, it's time. It's time to unleash compassion in your life. I mean, I've given you enough words from Jesus, hopefully, to make a case for this. Some of you have grown weary. I understand that. Some of you have been serving in the church for years and years, and you're like, man, I need a break. Let some other, let some other people do it. Listen, I, w- I want to encourage you with Galatians 6, 9, and 10, the words of Paul. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. If you're over the age of 50, look at me for a moment. We need you to engage. Not just because we need you to stand at a door. No, no, no. We need you to pour your life into the younger generations. We need you. We need you to raise up some younger Christians to show them what it means to to truly be a man of God, a woman of God, to raise godly children, to raise godly grandkids. We, we We need to unleash the older generation in this church to pour into the younger generation. That's what the Bible says that we're called to do. Those of you who are in your 20s and 30s, and you need to look to that generation. You may not agree with everything about them or whatever, but they've got wisdom. They've been down some roads. We have some godly older folks in this church. Learn from them. Listen, one of the main things we choose our elders for, who I introduced at the, 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 the beginning of the service, is, is men of wisdom. We need wisdom in this church. You need wisdom in your life. So don't listen. Those of you who are older, don't lose your compassion. Don't cash it in. Don't put yourself on a shelf and go, I've served 20, 30 years. I'm, I'm tired. I'm ready. No, no, no. Listen, go out swinging. Go out swinging. I'd love to be 85 years old standing on this stage preaching my heart out and God takes me. All right, hopefully it doesn't happen in front of you. Just like, we'll just, he'll come back and we'll just all go up together. It'd be weird if I just dropped, you know. 
I don't want that for any of you, okay? But I wouldn't know about it. I'd be with him. But that's how I want to go out. I want to go out serving Jesus. Whatever hair left on my head, I want to go out with it on fire for the Lord. Every time I come up here, my wife says, preach with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Preach with your hair on fire. And I look and I go, Amy, there's not much left. She goes, preach, preach with what you got. There's so many great churches around here. I don't get into church bashing. I'm thankful to be part of a church that is driven by compassion. Aren't you? But more than anything, I'm thankful for a Savior who offers compassion to all this morning. I don't care who you are. I don't care how you walked in the door. I don't care what your story is. The same compassion that was offered to me in 1976 is offered to you today. I know we're a little bit over time, but it's an important moment. If you've never received Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, you've never received his forgiveness, you've never received his love, you've never received salvation, this is your moment. Heads bow for just a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. Just pray with me. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the compassion that's being shown to all of us today. If you're here and you need salvation, pray with me. Father, right now, I need forgiveness. I need salvation. I need, Lord, I need things to be made right between me and you. I ask you to forgive me. Would you do that in Jesus' name? I put every bit of trust and every bit of faith I have in what Jesus did for me on the cross, the ultimate act of compassion. And I received, I received salvation, forgiveness, and new life at this very moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.